Today we're going to switch to talking about names of Jesus, names of the second person of the Trinity, and I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if you've followed the news this week, but um, the, surprise, the Pope was in town. And if you turned on any news station or looked at any newspaper, that's all you saw, right? These crowds in Washington. And there was this historical moment this week where the Pope, for the first time in our history, addressed the Congress. And he he went to address Congress, and it was really interesting. I was wondering what he would say and how he would use this incredible opportunity as the leader of, of the Catholic Church that, that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and died for our sins, what he would say. And as reports came in from that talk and what he t- said to Congress, it came out that he never once spoke the name of Jesus. Never once went there. And my goal this morning isn't to bash a certain religion, but uh, a lot of a lot of people theorize, well, why did that happen? And, and Albert Muller did a great job this week of, of analyzing this from a worldview perspective and coming back to the name of Jesus is actually a very divisive name. And, and he didn't want to divide. Now, he was willing to talk about global, global warming and a number of other things, but he wasn't willing to go there with the name of Jesus. And it's a reminder to us of just how powerful the name of Jesus is, how wonderful it is, but yet how divisive it is, how it stirs us to our hearts, what is right, what is wrong, because what he came to do, why he came, and who he is demands an answer of whether we believe or don't believe. His name is powerful. And so today we come and we want to talk about the name Jesus. And we want to talk about the name Lord as it's applied to Jesus. And we want to talk about the name Christ. And I know in the New Testament a whole number of times those three names are put together, right? The Lord Jesus Christ. And it's real easy for us in our day and age to look at Lord Jesus Christ and think, yeah, I get that. I know what that means. I'm called Ron Allen Johnson. It's just my first, middle, and last name, right? I'm here to say Lord is not his first name. Jesus is not his middle name. Christ is not his last name or his surname. But these are all individual names of who Jesus is, of who Christ is. And so we want to start to to break those down. And these are the three primary names of of Christ that are used in the New Testament. And so we're just going to scrape the surface of these names. Just a few verses where they're used. Because these three names alone are used close to 2,000 times in the New Testament. We're not going to read 2,000 verses this morning, but we'll read a few and hopefully give us um, just a renewed sense of the beauty of Jesus' name. Before we do that, I wanted to review where we've been. If you've been with us, we've been going through a series called Behold Our God on the Names of God and, and studying how God revealed His names throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And each name tells us a little bit more about who He is. And just listen to the names that we've covered so far. You can close your eyes if you want, but be focusing on who God is. Elohim, the Creator God. Adonai, Lord and Master. Yahweh, the self-existent, personal, faithful Lord. El Elyon, God Most High. When Abraham rescued Lot and met with Melchizedek and honored God Most High. El Roi, the God who sees when Hagar Hagar was on her knees feeling alone and abandoned. El Shaddai, the almighty, all-sufficient God that was given to Abram when he was 
promised children and descendants, and he was 99 and didn't see a way. Yahweh Shaphat, the judge, when God was about to judge Sodom. El Olam, the everlasting God, as Abram was being given the promise of the land at Beersheba, and he planted a tree and said, this is the land that God will give me. The first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. Yahweh Yaira, the Lord will provide, was given to Abraham as he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. But God intervened and said, here is a a ram. Yahweh Rophe was given to the children of Israel at Marah when, when God turned the bitter water into good water, a reminder that he heals us spiritually and he heals our deepest needs. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner, after Israel had defeated the Amalekites and Moses had kept his hands up and God had secured victory. Elkanah, the jealous God, was given to the children of Israel after the golden calves, after they abandoned Yahweh for idols, and it was a reminder to worship God alone. We studied the the Lord who sanctifies you, Yahweh Makadesh, the living God, Elkai. The Lord is my rock, Yahweh Suri. The Lord is peace, Yahweh Shalom. The Lord of hosts, the God of hosts, our stronghold, our fortress, our refuge, our sanctuary, our shield, our strong tower. Kadosh, the Holy One of Israel. We saw Him as maker and potter. We saw Him as Yahweh Melech, the Lord, or Yahweh is King, the King of glory. Yahweh Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. Abba, our Father. The Lord is our portion. The Lord is there. He is with us. Yahweh Shema. Ancient of days, our husband, the lion, and then last week, the Lord of the harvest, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, and the majesty. Send a little chills. Those are names for God the Father. And so today, having, having been through those names, we come to Jesus Christ, who is God, who is all of those things. But new revelation is given about the Messiah. And we start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Let's start at the beginning of the, the New Testament. Keep in mind a little bit of context here. The children of Israel... And the Old Testament had, had been through this cycle of walking with God and then rebelling against God and then judgment. And then a, a judge would come or some deliverer would come and they'd turn back to God. And, and through the years before the New Testament, for several hundred years, they hadn't heard from a prophet. They were wondering at this point, is God silent? What happened to God's plan to rescue us? What happened to God's plan to deliver us? And God's plan hadn't changed. It hadn't been delayed. It was on God's perfect timing. And so Matthew 1.1 comes onto the scene as God, after that time between the Testaments, that time that looked like silence, God steps in and says, I haven't forgotten you. And in Matthew 1.1, right from the start, we see the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, the son of Abraham. And the very first name given for God the Son is Jesus there. With Christ, and we'll look at both of those today. But skip down, and and we'll we'll get into the story of of how this came to be. Skip down to verse 21, which is just a a little bit lower in that same chapter. In verse 21, we read, 
she will bear a son. And this is the, the angel coming to Joseph. He's, he's found out that his um, betrothed one, the, the woman that he's engaged to, is pregnant. And the angel says, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so the name Jesus is the first name we're going to cover today. It's the primary name for Jesus. It's the, the, the personal name for Jesus. It would be like Ron or, or Joe or, or any of the names that we would call each other. But what's important to understand, it, it's given by God. Mary and Joseph didn't just pull this one out of the blue. But the Holy Spirit says you will call his name Jesus. If you read on in that passage, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we'll cover that on another week. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And so we come to the first name, Jesus. And it's a name that is common at the time and a name that is beautiful and rich with meaning all at the same time. And to unpack this, to understand the meaning, the name Jesus and and their names in in Hebrew and Greek had meanings with the names. And so, you know, Ron may not mean something to us. It's just a name. But Jesus meant something and it meant Yahweh is salvation. Isn't that a beautiful name? Yahweh is salvation to a people that are waiting for salvation. They think from the Romans but God's plan is salvation from, from the realm of sin and Satan. And so he names his son Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh is help. That's a reminder of two things. Number one, that Yahweh is the one doing the work of salvation. You and I can never earn salvation. We can never be good enough. We can never do the right things. But the other thing is that it's interesting. It's applied to Jesus who is the salvation that Yahweh is bringing. And so it's a way of letting them know the Messiah is here, salvation is here. But what's interesting is Jesus was also a very common name. It was a normal name of the time. Josephus, one of the historians at the time, he records 20 different Jesuses. Only one of them was Jesus Christ, God Almighty. Ten of them were alive at the same time. And this is just what was in history. So this was a a personal name. It was a common name. In fact, in the Old Testament, we see this a lot, Joshua. In, in Hebrew, Joshua was, was Jesus in the, in the Greek. And so they're the same name. How many Joshuas do we have here? We have, okay, we have one. There's, there are more, two. There's another one. <laughs> and, and there's others that just aren't raising their hands or aren't here this morning. For us, it's a common name, right? Really popular name about, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And still is because it's a name that reminds us of Joshua in the Old Testament but it means Yahweh is salvation. What a wonderful name. And when I think about that, I think, you know, if, if I was God, and, I, and I'm not, but if I was God coming to earth, I'm not sure I pick a normal name. I, I want a name like Emperor Ron or, or, or some, you know, some name that lets people know I am God and salvation is here. Believe in me. And God chose Jesus, a name a bunch of other guys had. And it's a reminder, but yet it means Yahweh is salvation. And and it it means both, and it's a reminder that God is fully God and he's fully man. Uh, Of the union of the two natures, that he is man, a normal man, 
Well, he's God, not quite a normal man, but an earthly man, but he's also God Almighty. And what an incredible statement to remind us that this is a real story. He was a real man. He took on real flesh. It wasn't just some image of God. It wasn't just some apparition. It was Jesus. And it was Yahweh sending His Son to bridge the distance to humanity that our sin had created. And so when we think of Jesus, we think personal name. We think a man who is also God Almighty, who is Yahweh's salvation. A couple of points to think about under Jesus there. The first, the name Jesus proclaims His mission. And that has to do with the name Yahweh is salvation. And in Matthew one twenty one, that was what the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, or Joseph would have heard it, and you will call his name Yahweh is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. That is his mission. That is why he came. And that is why God intervened after, after hundreds of years of silence, what they perceived as silence. But God was at work, and he had just the right time. It also reminds us of the kind of salvation that Yahweh was bringing. They were looking for the, the Roman deliverer, right? So, or a deliverer from the Romans. And that, that was their messianic hope, a, a fighting king, someone that would come and wipe out the invading armies. But right from the start, God says He will save His people from their sins. This is a different kind of salvation. In Acts two thirty eight. We, we, we see Peter's message as he's, he's telling people about Jesus. And he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. His mission was to save us from our sins, to come and be hung on that cross in our place, to die and take the penalty that you and I deserve so that we can repent and believe on Him and have our sins wiped away, washed clean, have His righteousness placed on us. Yahweh is salvation. That's what we want to think of when we think of the the name Jesus. Second point when we think of Jesus, and it was hard to to come up with some of the, the things I wanted to say about Jesus because everything I wanted to say is reflected in another name for Jesus. And so I wanted to go into Emmanuel, and I wanted to go into some of these other... I'm like, oh no, that's going to be another week. We've got to wait. But it's interesting. Just, these are just some of scratching the service, surface. Second point is Jesus is King Jesus. Jesus is King Jesus. Flip over to Luke chapter 1, and we, we see the, the birth account in Luke, and we see again the name Jesus given, Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. And this now is the angel talking to Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Yahweh is salvation. But then he goes on and describes this little baby. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He's a completely different king. A spiritual king. A kingdom that will never end is what he's setting up. And so he came to set up an everlasting kingdom. 
by defeating sin, by reigning in our hearts. We might look around and say, well, where's the kingdom? I look at the news, I look at my life, I look at some of the things I'm going through, and I'm not seeing a lot of kingdom yet. And that's the already and the not yet, where we live in a Genesis 3 world, but we already have the kingdom of God inside of us, and it's growing in our hearts. And as we share who Jesus is with others, the kingdom is growing. And that's the already part. But the not yet refers to the time when Jesus comes and defeats sin completely. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. Because his kingdom will eventually be an earthly kingdom as well. But Jesus is King Jesus. Third bullet point there is his name is to be revered. His name is to be revered. And if you remember, we've talked about name and name represents the very essence of the person, the being of the person. It represents a description of the person. But we see throughout Scripture, His name is to be revered. Turn to Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And this is a passage that hits every one of our names that we're covering this morning. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. And Paul has just talked about how Christ humbled Himself, became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. He died for our sins, but then in the conclusion in verse 9, this is what is said about Jesus. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, and there's the name that is above every name, and that's where we get the sermon title today, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, earth, that pretty much covers it, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In verse 11 there, we see the name Jesus, we see the name Christ, we see the name Lord. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And that's probably a combination of bowing in worship, but also bowing in submission. And we may look at that and say, well, not everyone is going to accept Christ, but everyone will know that Christ is king in the end. Even those that end up in His judgment in hell because they have never come to Him and never repented and never accepted Him, in the end, they will know the truth, won't they? In the end, every knee will bow in submission to God. Some in glory with Him in His presence. Some in eternal punishment because they refuse to be with Him. But His name is to be revered. May we not take it lightly. May we not throw it around Like it's just a commonplace word. Fourth bullet point there is his name is worth giving all for. His name is worth giving all for. In Acts 15, 25 through 26, in Acts we see the early church and the stories of the early church and what people were willing to do for Christ. And we read it, It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them with you to send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives, and catch the next phrase, for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for His reputation, for Him, for who He is. His name is worth giving all for. Acts 21.13, as Paul is considering going to Jerusalem and the, the church that he's with is saying, don't go, you're going to be killed. And he says, then, then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? 
For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. His name is worth giving all for. It's to be revered because He is King Jesus on a rescue mission to bring salvation. Remember a song in the 70s? A few of you will remember it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms shall all pass away, but there's something about that name. Don't lose the wonder of the beauty of the name of Jesus. For implications and our response, what do we do with this? I just have one for this one. It's a lot that we could talk about. But what what was on my heart is that we need to be proclaiming the name of Jesus, to not be ashamed of the name of Jesus. If they were willing to die for the name of Jesus and give all, we need to be willing to proclaim it. This week, this last week, and this is a chance I just want to give an update and pray for one of our ministries. Last Wednesday, we started our Awana program. And for those of you that don't know, it's a a program from kids from, from birth, I guess we would say, from infants all the way to sixth grade. And we have a number of kids that know Jesus there, and we have a whole number of kids that don't know Jesus there. And so we want to proclaim the name of Jesus to them. And I asked AJ if he'd come up just for a moment. Give us an update on Wednesday and how we can pray. Wednesday went pretty good. We had our first Awana night, and uh, yeah, it was great to see all the kids there and all the leaders. Uh, One of the cool things about Awana is all the people, all the kids that come to salvation. I told the leaders in our training that these are souls that God cares about and loves, and that when they come to salvation, it's just such a joy. And I've been going through leadership um, applications for Awana, and a lot of them will mention Awana as a place where they... Uh, came to salvation where they heard during council time a Bible story and God just spoke to them through that. So we have a lot of dedicated leaders that are praying for and loving these kids well. And we have a ton of kids here. And um, it's just a great ministry so far. And I'm really looking forward to how God broadens his family through this this year. Thank you. I know a number of you are helping in Awana. We have close to 40, 50 volunteers but we all need to be praying for ministries like this that are proclaiming the name of Jesus. Let's just bow our heads right now and pray for this ministry, for the students that are going to come this week. Lord God, I pray for our WANA program. and we have, we have a number of different ministries here to proclaim your name, to disciple people, to grow in you. But with Awana, especially for the kids that are from the neighborhood and from the surrounding areas that don't know you, I pray that we would be faithful to proclaim the name of Jesus to them, that you are salvation that you are the answer to our deepest needs and our soul for our sin. And Lord, I pray for every leader as they go through those verses with those clubbers and every teacher that you would give them the words to say to clearly point them to your name, to who you are, to Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for salvations this year in Awana, for souls to be one for you, that you would draw them to you and save them. Lord, that we'd be celebrating with people that are are new to the, the family of God. Lord, we praise you and thank you for this ministry. We ask for your power to go forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Name of Jesus. That's why we do things. Second name of, of Jesus that we see is the name Lord. And we see that you know, it's one of the primary names, and it's been in many of the verses that we've talked about already. 
And we talked about Lord as we talked about the names of God the Father. And in the Old Testament, Adonai, and I encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Andrew's message on that. And you can hear him explain Lord. But now in the New Testament, it's interesting because over 500 times it's now applied to Jesus. And it's, it's one of those clear testimonies in the New Testament that Jesus is God. Sometimes people come to me and say, there's nothing in the Bible that says Jesus is God. I don't know. Look at the 500 times he's called Lord, the same word that was used for God the Father. The same title. And, and we could go on to all kinds of other proofs for that. But Jesus is Lord. In the New Testament, the word in Greek that's used is kyrios. And, and to understand the name, we have to understand that, that Lord meant so much in their culture that maybe we don't relate with. It had this idea of master or owner. And so sometimes in a secular sense, they would use it of, of a, a master of a slave. But then it took on a spiritual meaning of the master of all things or the owner of all things with God the Father, certainly. And then that's what's applied with Jesus Christ. In fact, an early confession of the church, a confession of faith, was simply Jesus is Lord. And that was a phrase that they would use as they came together to remind themselves of who Jesus was. Turn to Luke chapter 2. You're you're probably already there from Luke chapter 1, but flip the page to Luke chapter 2. And we again come to the birth narrative and we come to the shepherds in this case. And the shepherds meet, they, 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 they... Blast onto the scene that the angels do with the shepherds. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we see what they said. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Okay, what's the news? I can just picture it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We see, again, three different names there, and and we'll look at Christ and we'll look at Lord today. But that word Lord, they would have, Christ they would have understood as Messiah, and Lord they would have understood as God Almighty, the owner of all things, the possessor of all things, the master of all things. And then as we go through the New Testament, Lord, especially as the church began to form, became more and more of a, a name that was used of Jesus. It represented his authority. It represented that he is the God of the Old Testament with everything that that includes. In the New Testament, sometimes you'll see the word master. It's another word, despotes. You might think, okay, what do we get from that despot? Don't, don't think of that with Jesus. But you can see how they used that word for master and Lord as well and for the owner of something. But if you had to think of, uh, uh, if I had to give you two things to think of when you come to thinking of Jesus as Lord, it would be simply complete ownership by Jesus, complete submission by us. Complete ownership by Jesus, complete submission by us. And that word for Lord implies both of those things. It implies ownership and authority, the right to rule, to hold authority, The right to disposal, one author said, to use property in the way that he desired. You know, I'm I'm watching one of my sons clean out his room. And um, it's it's sort of a, mom's dad, you'll understand, it's sort of a bittersweet thing. Uh, Right now, just stuff is spread out all over the hallway. A couple of you have seen that recently. And my, my oldest son is getting rid of his childhood toys. 
And, and now that does that that doesn't do much for my heart. That's good, but uh, he's growing up. I guess we have to let him. Um, but as, as he's looking at these toys, these are his toys, and he's deciding what to do with them. And he's separating them into piles—a pile to give away, a pile to throw away, a pile that if you touch it, you'll die. And and, and so he has these different piles. Now, if one of his brother brother what if his brother or his sister comes and grabs one of those and says, I'm going to throw this away, it's not good. Yeah, little volcanoes go off, and we're, we're trying to help them understand what it means to love one another and, and all of those things. Because why? That's his stuff. He owns it, and so he should get to do with it what he wants. That's the, the idea of this word. Mark is lord over his stuff, or my, my son is lord, <laughs> lord over his items. But Jesus is lord over all. He created all. He's Lord over you and I because with His blood, with His very life, He purchased us. We are bought with the price. And so He has the right to rule, to hold authority. He has the right to disposal. Not that He gets rid of us, but He can direct us. He can tell us what to do. He has a right to decide what we should do. We know we just read Philippians 2, 9 through 11. I'm going to read that again because it reminds us of the ownership, the, the grandness of God as Lord. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And, and that, that idea of bowing is the submission to a Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Pastor Andrew had shared with us on Lord, this, this would have been a startling thing because one of the secular sayings of the time was Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And so for the catchphrase of the church to be Jesus is Lord, that, that's actually a direct affront to the, the statement of the, the culture and the government of the time. To Caesar's proclamation that he is deity and to be worshipped. Jesus is Lord. I'm reminded of God's intervention as Lord in the life of Paul and, and in the conversion of Paul. And, and we see that God, Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus. And in Acts 9, 4, we read, And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he, being Saul, said, Who are you? And he uses the name Lord. Because he recognizes the greatness. He recognizes divine intervention. And Jesus answered and says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, who you're going to kill the followers of. And everything changes. And Jesus, as Lord, meets Saul on that road. He becomes Paul and a leader in the church, a founder of so many churches. Complete ownership. The master is complete ownership. When we, when we think of that, it's not that we think of ourselves as objects that are owned, but we want to think of being under his direction, of coming to him and saying, the master gets to set the priorities. It's his priorities that he sets in his word that we're to be about. He gets to tell us that. I think of Second Corinthians 2, and you see this so many times in the life of Paul, but we read, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord... My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But this is part of a bigger passage where Paul is talking about he's directed by the Lord. 
And he still went there, and, and he ended up going on to look for Titus, but he was following Jesus as Lord's direction. It's a reminder to us when we are looking to make any decision, when we're looking to, to look at jobs, when we're looking to um, places to live, and just even any direction in our life, do we even stop and ask Jesus as Lord to direct us? He's the owner of all things. He's the ruler of all things. It's his plan that we're following. Are we intentional about asking for his direction? And then are we intentional about following his direction even if we don't like it? The Lord directs ministry. The Lord also gives victory. And I'll quickly read this. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, the work of the Master, the owner, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. He directs the ministry, but He also brings the success of His work. The second, that's the complete ownership. The second aspect of that is complete submission. Because the name Lord implies a relationship, a type of relationship, Lord and servant. And, and so when we, when we say Lord Jesus Christ or when we use that name for Lord, whether we are intentionally thinking it or not, we are saying, you are master, I am servant. And I hope after today when we throw out some of these names of Jesus, we start to think, I just told him he is Lord over my life. That's, that's a significant thing to say. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't say it because he should be Lord of our lives. But complete submission, one author says, as Lord, the Lord has the right to respect and the right to be served. And that's where we see giving our lives to him fully as part of submission to him. Absolute surrender. Giving control to God. Now, I know that as life becomes hectic, some of us, most of us here probably become a little bit of control freaks, right? We're like, okay, as things are just going everywhere, I'm going to control things. I'm going to get my hands in here and, and, and make sure that's happening right. Get my hands over here and make sure that's happening right. And we, we just start to, ah! We're not in control. We're not Lord. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have plans and we shouldn't try to, to organize things. But we need to constantly be aware that Jesus is Lord. I am not. He is asking for absolute surrender to give him control. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And part of salvation, part of the Christian life is confessing that Jesus is Lord. He is master. I surrender to him. I submit to him. We're in service to the Lord Jesus. One other aspect that I had never thought of when I thought of Lord. I had always thought of submission and, and coming under His authority. But as I read through the verses that use the name Lord and read through some of the authors, another theme also came with that. See, a Lord at the time, a master at the time, gave direction, but He also equipped His servants for the task. And he protected them. And so the, the Lord-servant relationship extended equipping, but it extended protection. It extended giving them everything they needed for the task. And I never really thought about that much. 
And, and, and I, I listen to these verses and, and just listen and enjoy them. In 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Paul saying, I was appointed, but He gave me the strength to do my job. Acts 23.11, The following night, the Lord stood by Him, and that name is used, and said, Take courage! For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. The Lord is giving courage to his servant to do the job. 2 Timothy 4, 17 and 18. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Isn't that just a great phrase? The Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Because he is Lord, he's able to do that. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh and he uses the name Lord about his strength is made clear in our weakness. In Matthew 14, Peter is about to walk on the water. The name that is used there is Lord. Lord, if it is you, command me to come out on the water, seeking his direction. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. That's significant that in all those places, the name Lord is used. Because as our master, as the owner of all things, he also extends his umbrella of strength and comfort protection for whatever we might go through. What an amazing side of God's lordship. Now sometimes we think of it as, ah, they're pounding me again that I have to obey God. And yes, disobedience is an an affront to God's lordship. It's a defiance of his lordship. But the beauty of it is his responsibility as Lord, his promised action to us is to strengthen us, to encourage us, to give us everything we need to do His work. And as I studied those verses, tears came to my eyes because sometimes I think of Lord as just Master. But then when I think of that, extending His protection like a father would to His children, extending His strength, that is just precious. I think of some of you that are going through some tough things right now that are wondering, Lord, why is this my lot in life right now? Maybe physical things and maybe physical challenges. And it's good to see John with us this morning after his surgery. And we're praying for you and Patty with us. And some going through, through distance from family members and job situations. This morning, remember, Jesus is still Lord. He hasn't changed. And he's still strengthening and encouraging and giving you everything you need to walk with Him. I want to end this name of God by reading Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on His head are many diadems. And He has a name written that no one knows but Himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. It's talking about Jesus coming to establish his kingdom.
From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the, of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he, he, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is Lord. A couple of applications there, implications. Don't just call Jesus Lord. Act like he is Lord. When we use that name, think about what it means and make that an intentional commitment to follow Christ with every, every part of ourselves. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus confronts some people that have come to him and says, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you call me that? Do you not know what it means? And, and he finishes it by saying, and not do what I tell you. If you're going to call Jesus Lord, we need to act like Jesus is Lord. Two other thoughts. Second one there is don't hold too tightly to stuff. If he's the Lord, we're the servants, we're the stewards. It's not ours anyway. Everything is the Lord's. And the third point there is, is don't get a big head. Again, we're the servants. He is Lord. And sometimes in life we start to think, well, yeah, I'm pretty much Lord of my, my destiny here. Keep in mind John chapter 13. Right before the Last Supper, disciples come up and Jesus takes off his outer garments and takes the water, takes the rags, and he washes his disciples' feet. And it's really interesting the words he uses there because he uses the title Lord. And in verse 13 he says, You call me teacher and Lord. And you're, you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, the owner of all things, the master of all things, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. If Jesus as Lord is willing to serve, we better not get big heads and think we're above that. Our job is to serve each other. My job is to serve you. Your job is to serve each other and me. We, we, it, it's, a, it's a collaborative effort. Let's follow Jesus' example as Lord. The last name for the morning in the few minutes we have left is Christ. So we have the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Greek for Christ is Christos. And, and to understand this name, think Messiah. And I think I put that in your notes. But when they heard Christos, they would have thought Messiah. And some of that comes from the the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Whenever Messiah was used, it was translated Christ or Christos. And it literally meant the anointed one. And they would use anointing for several purposes. But one of the ways that they would anoint someone was to a special office or, or a kingship. Remember David? He was anointed by Samuel that he would be king. And so the anointed one had to do with this royal office, a a king or a priest. But it also was used, an anointing was used to set someone aside for a special mission. Now, Now think about those two things. What an incredible description of the Messiah. He came on a mission to bring salvation for sins. A rescue mission to die on the cross for us. And he is king. And if I had to summarize Messiah, it would be those two things. The Redeemer King the Savior, 
The Messiah would bring deliverance. And yes, they were expecting a physical deliverance from Rome. But Jesus and God had, had a whole different plan, a greater plan to bring deliverance from the real issue, the real need, and that's the realm of Satan. And so we see Christ used as the name of Jesus right from the start. We had already read Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And some of that because one of Matthew's goal is to show the Jews that this was their Messiah. They missed Him. This was the Savior King. In John 1, verse 40, this comes to the beginning of Jesus' ministry and He's calling the disciples. And I, I love this description. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. And so right there we see the the link between Messiah and Christ. But he goes running to his brother and says, He's here. The Messiah is here. Our hope, our deliverance is here. What a precious statement for what he didn't really know would happen. That the Christ would deliver by dying in our place. Throughout the course of his ministry, the disciples caught more and more of this. In Matthew 16, verse 13, we, we see Peter talking with Jesus. And Jesus came to, to Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they gave some answers. And, and then Jesus gets personal. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Christos, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, the name Messiah is tied to deliverance. And in in one of the studies I was reading was studying where the name Christ was used in the New Testament and it's clustered around the cross. There's other usages because it was written after the cross and they they were so amazed by the grace of Christ. But as you read through the Gospels and and even as you read through the rest of the New Testament, whenever salvation through the cross, the death of Christ is used, the name Christ is used, Messiah is used. It's tied to His loving work on the cross. He is the mediator, the agent of our redemption as Messiah. In Luke 24, we read, Then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. Christ, the Messiah, demands a response because either we don't believe he's god we don't believe he's jesus we don't believe he's lord we don't believe he's messiah and we can go on about our days and you could be watching football right now or we believe that his claims are true and we give our life to him and the messiah delivers us from the sin and the filth that is in this world and in our lives The Lord Jesus Christ, those three names, bring us to that point. And so the implications there are that very thing. If you've never accepted Christ today, if you've never seen Him as your deliverer, you need Him. Today's the day because you are drowning without Him. 
drowning in sin and in slavery to sin, drowning with no hope for a future. Give Him your life today. Make Him Lord today. John 20, 31 says, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Messiah, He is the Deliverer, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. For the many that have accepted Him and are walking with Him and seeking Him, the name Christ is a reminder of that sacrifice on the cross, a reminder of that deliverance, and we should be always grateful for Christ who dealt with our sins and gave us eternal life. Every moment we should be grateful because He saved us. He rescued us. I'm reminded as I think of Messiah of of something that happened to our family a couple years ago. On Mother's Day we were going to the beach and um, trying to make it a really special day and found out that 20 mile an hour winds and the sand of a beach are not necessarily a good combination unless you want your skin sandblasted. And so I took the kids down to the water to try to get in the water out of the sand that is just pummeling us. And um, we weren't very far out, just sort of wading maybe waist deep or a little bit less. And and Jeffrey's right there. And all of a sudden, this rip cut, rip tide comes in and just starts to yank him out. And what we didn't know is right beyond him, about two feet, was a drop off. And, and, And I remember looking at him. And we're playing out there and I look him in the eyes and all of a sudden he starts to go and his eyes just get huge with fear because he can't touch and he can't stop and and he goes under. And as a father, you you know what I'm feeling at that point in time. And and I just am trying to run through the water and get to him and I finally get his hand and drag his hand and I pull him up and, and, and we fight the current. We get to shore and he's just clinging to me. He's clinging to me. And I think, what a picture of Christ the Messiah who rescued us from drowning in our sins. And our response is to, number one, let Him rescue us. And if you haven't done that, today is the day. But if we have, to cling to Him and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for my life. I will make you Lord of all. Our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that those names would have new meaning. That we would never rattle them off just without thinking, but we would know that you are the owner of all things. That Jesus, you are Yahweh. You are salvation. That as Christ, you are a deliverer king that we owe respect to, honor to. We praise you and thank you for hanging on that cross, paying the price for our sins, for being our Messiah and bringing salvation to us. Lord, thank you. We praise you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.